Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show on LifeSiteNews.com. This is going to be our last show of the year because we're not going to do a show between Christmas and New Year's. And for our last show, I, I wanted to talk to somebody who would know a bit about what's been going on this past year for the pro-life movement, because it's really been a wild year in so many different ways, right? And so in 2022, we begin the year with Roe v. Wade still being the law of the land, as it has been every year since 1973. And according to the Supreme Court of the United States, when this year began, was fundamentally a constitutional right. And of course, we're seeing out 2022 with the position of the Supreme Court of the United States very explicitly being that abortion is not a constitutional right. And then we've seen a mixed bag of things unfold across the country since then. So we've got some states that have been doing direct democracy initiatives in which the pro-life movement has lost, such as places like Michigan and Kentucky and Montana. For those of you who are interested in my analysis on that, you can check out my column titled Abortion and the Midterms, which I wrote for First Things magazine. You can find that online. In other places, in 13 states, now abortion is severely restricted and preborn human rights are largely protected. And we see debates going on inside the pro-life movement as to what the best path forward is in states where abortion is largely illegal. It's about building a culture of life from the ground up, ensuring that barriers to pregnancy are removed, that people have the capacity to care for their children in other states. It's really a focus on changing hearts and minds. And then, of course, there are states like California, where abortion their abortion regime is the most radical that you can find anywhere in the world outside of Canada. And so these we have a, a, a we have like fifty different different regimes on the abortion issue now across the United States and the and post row America is kind of the Wild West. It's a very, very different country than it was in January. And I wanted to talk to somebody who could kind of walk us through some of that. And I've been really interested in what Texas Right to Life has been up to. And so I got in contact with the the executive director, the president of Texas Right to Life, Dr. John Sego. And he's actually worked as legislative director. He worked on the Texas Preborn Pain Act of 2013, two critical reforms to protect hospital patients and pregnant minors in 2015. He worked on the dismemberment abortion ban in 2017, reforms to the do not resuscitate laws in 2017, and of course, the Texas Heartbeat Act in 2021. The abortion industry really hates this guy. And in fact, they sued him personally, in addition to Texas Right to Life, 14 times because of his groundbreaking advocacy for the enforcement of the Texas Heartbeat Act, which is the strongest pro-life law to take effect since Roe v. Wade. He is a passionate and committed pro-life leader, a published bioethicist, a Christian, and a loving husband and father. He has worked for Texas Right to Life for many years now. And he, his writing and advocacy has worked towards having a pro-life and medical ethics policy in the Texas legislature almost constantly. He graduated with a double major in philosophy and biblical studies from Southeastern College, studied philosophy at the University of Dallas, got a master's in bioethics from Trinity International University, and then got a doctorate in bioethics and health policy from Loyola University, Chicago, now lives in Austin, Texas. And so I wanted to have a conversation with him about how things look in Texas post-Dobbs and what things look like for Texas and the United States moving forward into the very first post-Roe year. Thanks for listening.
All right, I guess just to kick off, maybe give our listeners a summary of, of how you view this year, because it's been a wild year for the pro-life movement everywhere, but particularly so for Texas. Yeah, this has been an incredible year for the pro-life movement, and we have seen historic victories, and we've seen some kind of unimaginable challenges, you know, kind of seeing how the abortion industry is reacting. But overall, it, it's been one to to make history and really shape the next chapter of our movement. On a personal level, where were you and how did you feel when you found out that the Dobbs decision had formally relegated Roe v. Wade to the ash heap of history? Well, it was a Friday and I thought that we, I thought they were going to wait <laughs> until the last day of opinions. And so I was actually in the parking lot of my gym here in Austin and I was, you know, on the Supreme Court's or SCOTUS blogs website watching the updates. And I thought they would just say, you know, okay, we're, you know, at least opinions, but not, not Dobbs. And then I would go, go to my gym, but you know, to our surprise, they released it a couple of days earlier than expected. So immediately called our, our media director and, you know, started getting everything in motion. But it's kind of the same thing this year with the leak. You know, a lot of people remember, you know, how they found out about the Supreme Court opinion leak. And it was just really, yeah, really amazing year. Kind of situate Texas right to life in the in the pro-life landscape, because there's a lot of organizations that are committed to activism, to outreach, to, to political races, to the pastoral arm. Te Texas right to life seems to combine a whole bunch of different things. So maybe give us the lay of the land there. Texas right to life is the largest and the oldest pro-life group here in Texas. We have been around since the late 60s and have kind of transformed from an education group into, you know, a, a legislative kind of we spearhead the legislative agenda in our state capital. We have a college scholarship program that trains and mentors pro-life leaders to lead pro-life groups on their college campuses. We do educational events, kind of, you know, statewide educational events. And we have a patient advocacy office that helps patients and their loved ones when there's a disagreement at a hospital. And Texas has some really bad patients' rights laws that, you know, we get to to help protect patients. And so we have all of these different, you know, departments, different programs, but kind of the big picture is, you know, Texas Right to Life, we are kind of leading the movement in Texas to stop euthanasia and to stop abortion here in Texas. Just from a personal perspective, how did you end up with a career at Texas Right to Life? Right after high school, before I was headed off to college, I volunteered for Right to Life. And I knew that they were Christians. I knew that they were really involved in politics. And I was interested to see how that worked, how they could be involved in legislation and involved in the Capitol and, you know, still kind of seek Christian principles. And I kind of started working with them and shadowing them. I was amazed at how a such a relatively small organization, you know, number of people had such a huge impact because legislators were pro-life, I found, but they didn't know what to do. They didn't have the bill language. They didn't have the talking points or the statistics. And they really relied on this, you know, nonprofit, these pro-life activists to supply them with that. And this kind of was really amazing to me is that this, you know, you could have such a huge impact on something so incredibly important from 
you know, a, non- a nonprofit. And so I started working on our legislative side and then I led our, our legislative team. I was our legislative director for 11 years and kind of worked on legislation in the Capitol for over a decade. And now I serve as our president. Let's remind listeners, it's kind of a crazy because 2022, it feels like, you know, several historic lifetimes have been crammed into a single year because of the number of really huge developments that were then rapidly superseded by other developments. So you have the Texas heartbeat ban, which functionally bans abortion in Texas and a scramble by the abortion industry to get that law blocked. And the courts are, or the Supreme Court's declining to to hear it, declining to block the law. And then, of course, we have the Supreme Court leak, where we get the the Samuel Alito draft of of the decision on on Roe v. Wade, which turns out to be, have been largely the the real one, almost word for word in some sections. The draft proved to be the final decision. And so, kind of remind us where was Texas before Dobbs came down? Because there was a lot going on in Texas, and all eyes in both the pro life movement. And the pro-abortion movement were on Texas prior to the decision on June 24. In Texas, we, you know, one thing that our organization does is we're always pushing for, you know, stronger and bolder legislation that is still prudent. You know, we we take it very seriously that we are not going to pass legislation that is imprudent legally. You know, but there were, you know, some bold steps that we wanted to take to get a case before the Supreme Court, because the last time we were in our session back in 2021, the court had not accepted Dobbs yet. So we didn't know if if we were going to get, you know, that case. And so what Texas Right to Life has been doing since 2013 is we have been advocating for policies to undermine Roe v. Wade, to highlight the legal mistakes, the, you know, bad reasoning and the the bad justification in Roe v. Wade and really kind of give the court some serious challenges to consider. And so, you know, we did that with the 20-week ban. We did that with the dismemberment abortion ban. We've, you know, kind of consistently fought for how do we change the legal precedent and challenge that. And so in 2021, we passed the Texas Heartbeat Act, which, you know, was the first heartbeat bill to actually take effect. 13 other states had heartbeat acts, you know, on their books, but they were enjoined or not being enforced. And so we had a state senator here in Texas who uh, was extremely motivated to kind of find a new way forward on this. And so we worked in a group with some attorneys, with his staff, with the Senator Hughes's staff and, you know, and our team on coming up with an innovative bill that would kind of let the heartbeat act go into effect. And essentially it relied on civil liability. You know, this, this kind of tool we have in public policy where private citizens can sue. If you have evidence that an abortionist broke the law, you don't have to go you know, to the police. You don't have to go to the state medical board. You can actually have standing to go and prove it in front of a judge directly. And that was the key. So that was in the Texas Heartbeat Act. And that's what the Supreme Court said was valid and and allows the law to take effect. And so going into 2022 this year, that law was being enforced and the abortion industry was required, they were, you know, forced to comply with the Texas Heartbeat Act and stop performing abortions after six weeks effectively. And so immediately that's saving a hundred lives a day in Texas. Uh, You know, immediately we were seeing, you know, just the fruit of that Texas Heartbeat Act of tons of lives being saved. And also the industry starting to 
you know, kind of reform. Some shut down, some were being more aggressive in their advertising. And then we started seeing some troubling trends, which we will face next year as well, of district attorneys, you know, announcing they're not going to prosecute, even if they have evidence that someone broke our pro-life laws and these illegal websites popping up, selling abortion-inducing drugs directly to women. So we kind of had a preview of what a post-Roe world would look like for a couple of months, you know, after the Texas Heartbeat Act took effect, even before we get to June. So June happens. I remember actually one of the first tweets I saw when when the Dobbs decision came down was from the Attorney General of Texas, who said, thank God, abortion's illegal in Texas. I think that was one of the first ones that I saw. You also see that the the abortion backlash that they were, were stating would take place during the midterms. You actually saw candidate quality playing much more of a, of a role because governors who had signed, you know, strict abortion laws had actually got elected with by wide margins. And the same thing is true, of course, in Texas. Now, where do you see yourself now? Post Dobbs, you have one of the most pro-life regimes in the country now. You've got roughly 13 states that have restrictions on abortion that protect the maximum number of preborn children that they can. And But you guys recently sent out an email saying, you know, Goliath was down, but Goliath is getting up. So let's kind of work through that. What are things like in Texas right now? How do you think that applies in other states? And what does the fight look like heading into the new year? That's kind of been our big message. And I know, you know, with you guys as well, is we were, we were concerned that some of our allies would just kind of leave the battlefield. And, you know, turn their focus to other issues or kind of think that kind of pro-lifers are done in these states that have, you know, trigger laws or, you know, prohibitions on on kind of the books. But the reality is, is that Roe v. Wade being overturned was really Goliath hitting the ground. I mean, hitting the, you know, kind of being taken down. But if you remember that biblical story of David and Goliath, the battle was not over at that point. It's a huge victory, huge moment in the, you know, in Israel's history. But David still had to go kill Goliath, one, and then the army had to chase the Philistines and complete the battle, you know, chase them and reclaim the land that they were fighting over. And for us, whenever we look at it, I'm kind of saying, okay, this was, yes, a huge victory, but we still have these troubling trends where the abortion industry is becoming extremely novel extremely creative to continue to sell abortions, you know, so illegal websites, advertising on college campuses. Here in Texas, we've been seeing stickers in the student centers and all around college campuses with QR codes where, you know, saying, are you pregnant? Do you, you know, you don't have to be, you know, they scan the QR code and it takes them to one of these illegal websites that was, you know, male inducing drugs directly to their dorm room. I mean, that is something that I could not have predicted a couple of years ago, right? But we're also seeing, you know, pro-abortion groups raise money to remodel a cargo ship into a floating abortion clinic and move it into the Gulf of Mexico right outside of Texas jurisdiction. We're seeing the other side is not acting as if the war is over. They're trying to regain ground they are trying to find, you know, strategic places that they can continue to fight. And so that's what I say. That's kind of what I mean by Goliath is, is hit the ground. But, you know, the, the industry, as you know, is committed to their mission of death more than ever. And, you know, so we have to, to face that. We have to make sure that we have the tools to, to really address some of these concerning 
uh, you know, trends. And that's really what we're working on with our legislator is, okay, we're seeing, you know, a lot of new trends. How do we, you know, do we have the right public policy tools on the table to address them, to continue to save lives and to really stop these new threats? So taking a look at a couple of things here, we don't have a lot of really good data yet on what the impact of Dobbs has been on the abortion rate. But the best data that we do have is from Texas, which indicates that thousands of babies have been saved from abortion, um, both pre and post Dobbs due to Texas's pro-life regime. Now, looking forward and building on that, there's a number of different threats that you mentioned, right? You've got clinics that are going to be stringing out along the New Mexico border and basically explicitly advertising to Texans to come in and get abortions there. You've always got the RU486 problem, of course. And then you've got this sort of abortion ship. Is that is the, is the abortion ship in the Gulf of Mexico based on, on the Dutch abortion ships that were you know heading to places in Africa and other places where abortion was illegal? I think it was inspired by that. It's a different group. But but yeah, I, I think, you know, we have seen this in other parts of the world, you know, but when you look at the map, uh, you know, kind of of pro-life laws at the moment, you know, all of our states in, you know, all of our Gulf states, you know, all the way from Texas to Florida, they're pro-life, they're strongly pro-life. And so, you know, that seems to be a real focus of the industry is how do we still, you know, sell elective abortions to these women in the South? The abortion industry has a laundry list of, of, of things that they want to accomplish. And part of what they're trying to do in Texas, of course, is taking the legislation and trying to find ways around, over, or through. In other states, of course, you know, in Michigan and Kentucky and Montana and elsewhere, they've been taking the direct democracy route because when it comes to direct democracy, they can outspend us, you know, by 10, 20, sometimes 100 times in terms of, of cash because Planned Parenthood has a massive war chest. What are some of the Texas-specific threats that you're concerned about heading into 2023? Because they've had a couple of years to, to plan for this, right? Like People were, I think, shocked but not surprised that Roe v. Wade was, was overturned. You know, shocked just because it feels surreal that it actually happened. And that, you know, the March for Life coming up in January will be celebrating the anniversary of, of, of something that's dead now. But not surprised because we had the leak, you know, the makeup of the court would seem to tilt in that direction. But so the abortion industry has been planning for this for quite some time. What are you, what are you thinking you'll have to face in 2023? It's different for Texas. You know, we have states, like you mentioned, that are still, you know, they're, they're kind of still educating. They're still engaging, trying to get the strongest bill possible. You know, we've got friends in Florida that are working on that is what is the strongest bill possible to pass? You know, we've got friends in a lot of states that are, you know, not, they don't have complete abortion bans on the books right now, but they do have other pro-life policies. They're trying to make progress there. And so, you know, for that, it's, it's the same story. It's incrementally making the case to, to protect lives and maybe, you won't convince somebody that all abortion is wrong, but you can convince them that dismemberment abortion is a you know procedure that needs to be banned, for example. So, but in Texas, you know, with our prohibition, um, we have to address some of this kind of lawlessness that we're seeing. You know, we have district attorneys who are our public prosecutors for each county. You know, they are coming out and saying that they're not going to prosecute. Well, those are public officials. Those are individuals who we voted for to enforce our laws, and so. You know, what do we do with an elected official who says, you hired me to enforce the law, now I'm actually going to act like a legislator and unilaterally kind of pick and choose which laws I want to enforce or not. And so that's a, you know, that, that's a, a policy problem. That's a, 
not just a political problem of electing somebody new. It's really what do we do with with lawless district attorneys and how do we, you know, setting up a system that we can remove them from office if they're not doing their job? You know, what is that process for them? Or how do we just go around them as the pro-life movement? You know, I'm not going to convince a Democrat, pro-abortion Democrat district attorney here in Austin, Texas to do the right thing. But what tools do I need as a pro-lifer to prosecute and to make sure the abortion industry is not going to just set up shop and, and, you know, just kind of defy the law knowing he's protected. And so, you know, like with that Heartbeat Act, the civil liability piece, we want to expand that tool so that any citizen can sue, you know, someone breaking the law or a website breaking the law uh, directly and not having to rely on a public prosecutor. So it's, it's kind of amending that Texas Heartbeat Act by allowing, you know, pro-life citizens to sue for any abortion whether it's six, you know, before six weeks or after six weeks. So expanding that tool is going to be a really critical piece for us. Giving our attorney general some tools, if a district attorney is ignoring the law, giving our attorney general the authority to go in and to bring charges and make sure the law is being enforced is another way to just kind of go around these, you know, Democrat DAs. That's that's a something the legislators working on. And then the question of the illegal websites, you know, what what kind of systems can we set up set up to block those websites from reaching uh, reaching Texans and actually holding those industries accountable, the pharmacies that are involved, the physicians that are involved, how can we actually hold them accountable even though they're in other countries? That's a public policy you know, dilemma that we've been working on with our elected officials here in Texas. We've seen Rogo. We've seen different things unfold in different states since then. We've seen some very, very good news. And then particularly with the case of Michigan, We've seen some very, very bad news. So just taking a look at the the national the national situation now, we're heading into the very first year in which Roe v. Wade is not the law of the land. Very specifically, Alito said abortion is not a constitutional right. This means very different things in very different states, because as you've already mentioned, Texas is in a, in a much different and much better position than a lot of other states. But what do you think the pro-life movement should really be working on and strategizing on nationally heading into 2023? Are we worried about abortion being enshrined in statue? I know they don't have the votes for it right now, but what are some challenges we should be strategizing about and thinking about heading into 2023? The challenge, the biggest challenge is accurately and persuasively making the pro-life case. And this is one thing that Congress can help with because, you know, like you said, we're not holding our breath for Congress to pass anything big one way or the other, you know, it's a lot harder to make progress at the at the national level. But one thing that Congress can do is really help the cultural conversation. And I know that, you know, in the past, they've introduced bills to help bring attention to issues and help, you know, have the conversation. And that's one thing that the Congress can do is, you know, proposing a statewide ban on, or sorry, a countrywide ban on abortions at the point when a child feels pain. I mean, that highlights the humanity of the child, and it highlights the inhumanity, the cruelty of abortion. And, you know, this is a time when there are a lot of accusations. There are a lot of myths out there about pro-life laws or about pro-lifers intent with their laws. And Congress can really help, you know, highlight that and show, you know, one, we we actually, you know, we want to protect women's health. We want to, you know, make sure that Doctors can treat miscarriages appropriately, that they can respond immediately to medical emergencies. 
our pro-life laws do that, but the left has you know, really worked hard to muddy the water on the effect of pro-life laws. Congress can help on that. Congress can also help on kind of giving a positive pro-life vision for the country, not just, you know, here in Texas, we don't want our state just to be abortion free. We want our state to be pro-life. And so we're investing in, you know, what we're calling the building a pro-life Texas agenda, a whole list of bills that don't just aim to stop abortion, but aim to actually remove those barriers that women and their families face when, you know, having an unexpected pregnancy. And so Congress can do that. You know, Congress, there's, there's plenty of things on adoption. There's plenty of things on foster care. There's, you know, a lot that, that they can do in Congress and maybe even get some bipartisan support for, you know, making sure that moms have access to the medical care that they need or the social services that, that are going to be critical for them to succeed socially and economically while they're, you know, caring for their, their new child. And so there's a lot that they can do in Congress without necessarily you know, having the votes to ban abortion. And so I would encourage and I'm encouraging our congressmen, you know, to to work on that, to work on helping us in the cultural conversation, because they, they do have the pulpit, you know, they do have the microphone and get to help, you know, lead what is the media talking about? What is the media reacting to? Fantastic. Where can people go and check out the the Building a Pro-Life Texas initiative? Because there's been a lot of discussion recently about, you know, working on those social safety nets. You know, in a lot of places, it costs, you know, like 500 bucks to get an abortion and over 10 grand to give birth, which means, you know, all the incentives are running in the wrong direction as far as the pro-life movement would be concerned. So where can people go check out some of the things you guys have been working on? So TexasRightToLife.com is the best place to go. You can find our legislation page there and you know, see that, you know, the things I've talked about mostly here of the challenges with, you know, enforcing our pro-life laws. But, you know, another priority of ours is the building a pro-life agenda and uh, building pro-life Texas agenda. And, you know, that's one thing that we're really excited about is Texas. We want to lead in stopping abortion, but we also want to lead in showing what other states can do. And so that's things like, you know, insurance and social medical insurance and social services for women. But it's also just some some really kind of easy policies, like, you know, starting child support from the moment that a woman finds out that she's expecting, you know, her her financial costs begin immediately with, you know, diets and not working as much, her, you know, that it kind of affects her financially immediately. But right now here in Texas, and in many states, the you know father of the child doesn't really have any you know accountability or financial involvement until the birth and so you know small policies like that that we can do you know removing barriers for pregnant college students that make it easier for them to continue their education and seek that career you know these are at state schools we've kind of raised some really kind of short-sighted policies that make it harder for college students to be pregnant and maintain you know their college career. And that's going to be, you know, her graduating, seeking that career, that's going to be best for her and her child. And so as a state, I want to work on removing those barriers so that, you know, we're really setting up Texans um, for success, whether it's, you know, an unexpected pregnancy or not. Dr. Siegel, thank you so much for taking the time to go through all this with us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Dr. John Siegel, the president of Texas Right to Life. Thank you so much for not only listening to this show, but for the many shows you've listened to throughout this year. We do hope that you'll have a blessed Christmas and a blessed new year with your loved ones, and we do hope you'll join us again in the new year. Once again, you can head over to LifeSightNews.com, click on the podcast tab. You'll find our shows there where you can subscribe or listen to past shows at your convenience. Thanks so much. Bye.